man, you're gonna you're gonna invoke that at every opportunity, aren't you? I can't. It's great though because I've it. started doing it too. It's terrible. <laughs> it's so contagious. What's and wild? Whenever I accomplish anything. It, what's wild is like how long I forgot about it. Like she said it on that day. I thought the shit was hilarious, and then I never thought about it again. And then it just like came back in like the last six weeks and. I just have to use it at every opportunity. With a vengeance. <laughs> Came back with a vengeance. Um, yeah, I I hate to admit I'm I'm using it all the time too. Listeners, uh there is a thunderstorm a, like a happening. I'll just say it's happening. Um cuz the thunder has already started. And uh my dog is actually pretty chill right now, but uh we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Busy is not. Um, she usually She's freaks like out. Starting to huff and puff by my side. Because you're like on a call with someone that's not her. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> like ten minutes Perhaps. ago, she was like sleeping on the couch. Before, <laughs> before we, uh, before we launch into uh, the L Word season four, is there anything that you you want to talk about sure. on the pod? On my heart. Was there anything that came up today that you were like, ooh, that'd be good for the pod? Not today, but yesterday I had a lovely experience at work that I shared with you, which was that it was the um, birthday day of remembrance for Whitney Houston, who apparently is a Leo. Did not know that. Oh, didn't know that either. But my team did this really amazing thing where in multiple team meetings, I now know, but in the in one meeting I attended, um, the gag was to like find ways to like weave in her song lyrics and song titles like into the meeting, but in ways that would make sense for the context. Um, That's so good. <laughs> and it brought me so much joy. And the woman um, on my team who, um, actually, I didn't meet until today, who, like, started this gag, her name's Lacey. Hey, Lacey. (laughs) Um, uh, Is a huge Whitney Houston fan. And so when we were chatting today over, like, virtual coffee, we got to, like, just share in our love of Whitney Houston. There's actually a special coming out tomorrow. I saw. Superstar about Whitney Houston on ABC. Um, oh boy! So there's just a lot in the air around um, Whitney Houston, and if you've listened to our pod before, and you're one of our like five like forever fans who like <laughs> listens to every episode, then do we have as many as five? Probably. That's exciting. I think they're all on your end, though. I might have one. You think? But anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, just you're one of the five forever fans, like listens to the every one. episode. Um, you know that we did an episode this past winter about Queen. I'd say it's in our top three episodes of all time. I agree. I'd say like, so right now, um, Mia revealed to me that she, so we, I I always talk about Las Culturistas and how I love it so much and how it was inspirational for this pod. Um, and Mia revealed to me that she started following Las Culturistas and Matt Rogers. She was already following Bowen Yang because she's a big fan of Bowen's. No, I was not following Bowen either. You were. I realized it today. I wasn't following (laughs) him either. And I was like, what is happening? I must rectify. 
Did you love that his Instagram handle is Faye Dunaway? I knew it was Faye Dunaway, but now that I follow him, I had like a ton more questions. I was like, why is it Faye Dunaway? Is Faye Dunaway like mad about this? Doubtful. Um, I think um, it's a bit. I think it's a bit just because she doesn't have Instagram and he was like, oh, I can be Faye Dunaway. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great. I love it so much. (laughs) Um... But uh, so I was trying to like sort of dig through and figure out, okay, what what would I recommend as like an entryway to the Las Culturistas catalog? And similarly, I feel like with our pod, even though this this only marks our 19th episode, we're almost at 20, y'all. Um, I would I would count the Whitney Houston app as like one of the apps that I would recommend as like this is a good ease you into it kind of thing because even our first ep was about the velvet rope tour which is kind of esoteric you know um and also we hadn't quite like figured out what the pod was yet you know yeah and the Woodhouse episode was just like wild and fun what how silly <laughs> with house we were doing i feel like we were doing spoken word like the entire time it was really silly <laughs> It was great. It was really um, cool. Anyway, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt? Did I interrupt? No, that's the end of the story. I just um, had a really great, like, team moment of shared love and appreciation for Whitney Houston and spilled over into, like, actual team business. So I'm all here for it. Lovely. It a sign Sounds that I like found you're my really people. loving your job. Yeah, you're, you're having a good time. I'm, I'm happy for you. It sounds like a good match for you. I am having a good time, and... <sighs> I'm sure my new organization just has sort of refined its approach to talent hiring and knows like, you know, how to find all the like folks who are going to be a good fit for the team and all of that. But I also think it's like a ton of B-school folks and, you know, because you used to work at Harvard Business School. Oh, oh, I get, I I did. I did. You know that profile of like, like B-school is very work hard, play hard did like the whole the whole thing it's like equally important to be out at the drink or at the bar for drinks and at all the social stuff out at the drinks like that matters like more sometimes than the classes like it's all about the relationships you build while you're there i will say that the culture where i worked at hbs i don't think was super indicative of the culture like amongst the actual student body faculty oh yeah whatever. yeah no, i get that unfortunately I'm, about, I'm just saying like no, for yeah. a b-school student like yeah a, yeah yeah know, a, sort of a mm. i wish i knew something about that we were or, kept, you know like, the archetype very... of a business school in america <laughs> and um their entire like case study method is like use it like every other business school so since you it worked at pretty... the archetype since you worked at the archetypal school i figured i'd make that reference but yeah yeah b schools all work hard play hard these people all have like fun engaging personality like like every virtual coffee i'm like i could talk to you for five more hours like why that's don't we great do that? yeah yeah i was just sharing with mia i'm like having kind of like a malaise moment um or series of moments over a number of I think part of it at all is also like Delta in the air. And I'm just like, I'm not spiritually ready like for more of this shit. Um, 
even just like I found myself like falling more like into the um the news rabbit hole the way that I was like you know when we were really in the throes of it like pre-vaccines being available um and I was just like my body is not ready for this <laughs> it's just in on on many oh, levels <laughs> you oh, know fine. um so that's probably a big part of it but also I mean I'll maybe I'll cut this out cuz like I feel like work people maybe listen. I have some work people who listen, but, and, and it's, you know, honestly, like, it's fine if they listen, because it's, it has nothing to do with them. Like, I love the people I work with. Um, I enjoy what I do. Um, but I don't know. I, I, maybe I, like, underestimated what, like, putting all my creative stuff on hold would do. Maybe that's a part of it. Um, maybe I just feel like I want to, like, retire tomorrow. I'm just, like, fucking tired you know um i don't know i'm just nodding solemnly yeah i'm not saying much but i'm nodding empathetic (laughs) yeah it's just like that general like existential like coming excuse me coming up on midlife crisis kind of shit oh you're, you're going to those places i think so I think so. If I'm like not there yet, then I'm about to be there. I'm just like, it's kind of that vibe of like, life is just going to be more of this question mark. It's that kind of vibe, um, which is why I keep saying like, I need like a major energetic shift or like something new in my life, you know? Um, Can I comment quickly on your use of the term midlife? I, for most of my life... <laughs> <laughs> have equated that term with a really specific year. What um, year is that? Like 45. I've been like, that's oh. when you have a midlife. So not 40. And I've realized now <laughs> that a midlife crisis is like a series of years. It's actually a pretty <laughs> long fucking time. Like It's pretty much like late 30s until maybe 50. Yeah. Anywhere in that span of 12 years, you could be in midlife crisis. Like, mm-hmm. just, yeah. And that, um, I'm not ready to like sit with what that, mean, what that means because it just means the next 12 years might just be like hard in various ways in terms of just like big, yeah. big, like big existential questions. Yeah. In a way that like I haven't ever really been in that place before. I'm sure I have. Maybe in my 20s. At some point, I was like, I'm so old. I'm in my 20s. But like, <laughs> I haven't spent my 30s like racing to 40 or like rushing time. I've really just been like living in it. Plus, my head was so far up my ass, like in my previous work, um, that like I didn't. I was just tunnel vision around my career, um, which has now changed. I'm really happy to be very balanced. But yeah, it's just like looming. It's like, oh Lord, be like, everything over 40 just like dark and stormy and confusing particularly if you don't have like or maybe even still I don't want to like I don't want to like um deny the experiences of like people who are married and who have families but like I would imagine maybe being partnered and having children like can in many ways is like a distraction Right? Like you're so busy, not and not that right. they're not, not that they should be the center of your life, but I just mean like it's so it's so intensive. No, it's it's all encompassing. To, it's all encompassing. That's what I mean. So it's like, yeah. how, when do you pick up for air? 
when do you pick up your head to breathe enough air to like even think these like big existential questions? But totally. I feel like already being someone who spends a lot of alone time, spends a lot of my time alone, and I have tons of reflection time. <laughs> I'm just like, what does that look like for the next 10 years? Does it just get dark? Right. Because <laughs> I don't think about death. Like I don't, right. I don't think about my own death. I'm very, I'm very much in a season of my life or have been for a long time where I feel like it's relatively invincible. Like I, which is not reality. Like I, I, I am not there. I am thinking about death all the time. <laughs> like I think that's your, probably your own part death. of this malaise. Your own death? Yeah. And not, and not necessarily like the reality of dying, but like the circumstances of being at the end of your life and life ending and there not being any opportunity to make new things happen. It's like, yeah, more more of like the legacy questions, the unfinished business questions, like all that stuff. And just, yeah, coming up on that realization of like, I have to like make some shit happen, you know, because it. it's it. not gonna. Yeah, I need to generate this myself. And I'm also very tired. And the prospect of generating things myself is like fucking exhausting. So yeah, I feel all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you really feel it like on the dating front because you like you actually I look to you as an example of somebody who like actually puts themselves out there and like does a really good job of like consistently. Yeah. Trying. And I feel like I maybe already already had this conversation with y'all. So I apologize if I've told you something you've already heard. But I feel pretty content relative to my future for a few reasons. Like one. Um, I had this like opportunity 10 years ago to go down this like really risk-taking career path of becoming an entrepreneur, launching a school. I had no idea what the hell I was doing for a long time, um, but then I got really good at it. And that was really fulfilling in terms of like, did I leave the earth like better than I found it? Like, I feel like in many ways I can say yes, based on the impact of that work. And I didn't know I was looking to do purpose. Like, I didn't go into law school um, or leave undergrad, like, feeling like I had to, like, fulfill some, ter- some type of, like, personal professional mission in my life. Um, so I feel really grateful that I found work that um, met, that became that for me. So if I do nothing else in my life, I'll be like, I started a school from scratch. Like, <laughs> that is effing amazing. Um, so I feel content on that front. And now I just get to, like, hang out with school leaders and be a part of their own journeys to do a lot of that same purpose work now. And so I still get fed by what I do there. And then personally, I can't say that I will feel this way always, or I definitely can't say I felt this way historically, but for right now, like I am a thousand percent fine with every aspect of being single. And I think um, it's interesting that it corresponds with the season of my life where I am dating more than I ever have, meaning like, that's making individual attempts to connect with someone. I have done that more in the last year and a half than in the whole entirety of my life, really. Um, and I, I'm, I, th- I like to think of myself as a romantic, but I realized what was coming up for me from like a stress and anxiety standpoint around dating was, um, was economics. Like I'm jealous of people who like got married at like 22 and have been like double income households. <laughs> for closing in on like 16, 17 years. Um, and I was like, that's a rat race I can never win. People have been 
you know, setting, putting down roots and buying homes and whatever. Um, and I just, you know, there's like that adage about black women who are just like, fuck it, I'll do it. And so like, I had to stop looking out, outside for that um, and just look within myself. Cause I was like, well, I'm single. I'm not any closer to like finding the type of person I, be, I would want to share my life with. And so I can't hold, I can't wait for that to be true for me to meet these other goals I have for myself. And so I just became a boss about setting some goals around expanding my work and expanding my impact. And I'm now in a place where I'm like, I feel like I can live the kind of life I want to live, like with or without someone. And if they're there to be there for part of that journey with me, holla. If not, I'm straight. I also have amazing friends like you. Like I also feel so my cup is filled by my close friendships in which, you know, you know, and when things get lonely, I have a vibrator, like, you know, so my life is really wonderful in pretty much <laughs> all respects right now. I'm feeling grateful for my family. So I would say if you're feeling cranky and these are questions, they're hard questions. And I, oh, I also just don't think about death. That's how I also stay alive. Um, I don't think about death because it's like a thread you pull and then it's like, oh, God. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm glad that you're you're in that space, and I recognize that um, a lot of this is perspective. Like there are times where I look at my circumstances and I feel great, like you. Um, I feel, however, like listening to what you were saying about feeling good about your impact. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way about myself. Um, and that's really frustrating because I, I think I've just hit this point in this year of feeling like I bust my ass like on every front and just don't feel like like I'm making the impact that I would like to um especially creatively it's just it's really hard and it's it's really hard to keep going um so I've been like making shit for so long and I feel like it still like has not gotten out to that many people. It's just very hard to find, you know, an audience like shout out to my creatives out there. It's really fucking hard. And I, I fully understand why a lot of people just decide not to pursue it, you know, even when they love it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm grappling with that right now. Um, I'm grappling with a lot of shit and, and yeah, like you, usually I feel, I feel really good. I have, I have incredible friends. I really do. Um, I'm grateful for that all the time, which I think in some ways might even make it more difficult to find a partner because like you're holding them up to yes. Right. Because every time I meet a potential, I'm good with that. (laughs) Right. I'm good with that too, because like my friends are fucking incredible and they fill me in, in, in ways that I just never expected my relationships in my life to fill me. But like whenever I'm looking at a prospective partner, I weigh them against my friends and I'm just like, are you going to provide me with like what all the amazing shit that my friends provide me with? Do you tick these boxes? Are you working on yourself? Like all my friends are all my closest friends are, you know, are you a good conversationalist? Are you goofy and hilarious? Like, can you do all this shit? Can you be everything to me? Can you be everything? (laughs) It's like I always, I always invoked this scene from, um, from Ab Fab. I fucking love that show. 
um, where uh, so Pat, there's I, I've told you this a million times, I think, but like there's this episode where Patsy is dating this like personal trainer and he's like a total like dumbass, but she's just dating him because he looks good. And um, Safi, Adina's daughter, is like, you can't possibly have anything to talk about. And Patsy's like, we're going to talk to him like I have you to talk to. And she points to her best friend. And I'm just like, yeah, like, that's it, you know? Yeah, so, I've never been in a headspace. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean I haven't had like random empty hookups, but like I've never been in a right. headspace where like I would probably entertain that for like a sustained period of time. Yeah, yeah, because it doesn't feel good. No, to not be able to hold no. a conversation with someone. <laughs> no, no, and I don't think Patsy Stone uh, entertained it for more than like. A week maybe um but uh yeah no i'm i'm with you i'm with you i um i think i told you this i got a natal reading from an astrologer recently like earlier this year that oddly enough my therapist recommended and he he was very spot on and how he like was talking about and he was talking about this he was just like you know like you have incredible friends like your friends are your world um and it's very hard to like find somebody who meets that standard for a romantic partner and he said i think what you need is a boy toy <laughs> maybe and i was like i, mean, and I was I'm like maybe i don't it. know like that's i don't what know the expert said so you must follow the instructions. i know and believe it or not like i did um you know i actually like went on i investigated because i've read a lot of fan fiction about like sugar relationships like sugar daddy sugar baby kind Ooh, of relationships that, 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 that stresses me out just hearing it, but, <laughs> but please go on yeah i mean I'm, I, and i'm also just like i definitely don't have like disposable income to like spend on a sugar baby but like um i don't know i was just intrigued by it and i was just like what would that be like you know um but i wasn't i don't know it's it's all like kind of heavily cloaked that world and i'm a little unclear like if i did want to pursue that like how would i go about it that is a you know? perfect phrase the heavily cloaked that is exactly what i was about to say which was just the second part of that sentence which was like i don't understand that world like i don't even understand how you that's what i was like it. doing research on and i was just like how do you because again position like I've read yourself. This... you have to position yourself as well right. depends on who you want to be like if you want to be the baby you know you mm-hmm. gotta kind of position yourself like a sexual object who's who's right you know, and, where, where and you, attract, you kind of you attract the energy and you kind of, I was, it was so funny because I had this whole conversation with myself where I was just like, okay, I don't quite have the level of disposable income to have a baby, even though having a baby like appeals to me, you know, especially like if it's a guy, like I just really, that appeals to me. Um, even for like a little while or whatever, like, I feel like that's, I don't know. I like it. Um, and then I was like, okay, but could you be a baby? And I was like, no, you're going to be 38 this year. Like you don't fit like the age bracket, you know? Well, any um, older partner that maybe is like, well, sure. Years plus would would make would probably see you see you in that. I suppose, but if they have enough money, um, I've, and the appeal for them is finding someone younger, I feel like they'd probably go for like a twenty five year old, who's uh, whose titties are perkier. No, I I have friends in our age bracket who are sugar babies, to sugar serious? daddies. Yes, yes. What? That's the other part of this conversation. Is I have friends who have. <laughs> I have friends, and I should have probed more, really, right? Like, I have one friend who I've known for, like, six or seven years 
who has more than one. Um, and, um, and, and, and there are different types of relationships. Like one is like a sugar shoe daddy. So sends her shoes because he has a foot fetish. Oh, does he want her to like wear the shoes and then send them back to him or like send pictures of her wearing the shoe? Oh, God. Send pictures. What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they're not living in the same city. Like he'll send her the shoes. And see, that's um, what I, and, that's periodically when, the, when she that's is in the wonderful. same town as him, we'll go to dinner and he'll let, she'll let him take her out. And, you know, that sounds wonderful to me. And like, I'm with you. I want something meaningful in my life, like romantically. I really do. But I'm also feeling so funky right now that I feel like I would just do shit to like do shit and like bring some interesting energy into my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that does I, kind of appeal to me right now. Yeah. I still am, <laughs> I, I'm still I'm trying to speak without using language that conveys judgment. But like I am <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in both sides of that arrangement. Hmm. Um, I don't think any one of my partners would have ever described me as like a sugar mama, but I have been mm-hmm. in, in multiple relationships where like income disparities were enormous. Yeah. Even, even yep. early, like immediately out of college. Like, yeah. The person I, I dated was like a full-time student and I was starting to make money working. Where, by the way, I was broke all the time. Like when the money would come in the door, I spent it on rent and like having a good time. Money would come in the door. I spent, like I was never... Like I like I had no money. <laughs> I had no money, but I still was able to make choices with what was in my bank account as disposable income to go out and have a good time. And my partner at the time wasn't even in that position, and it just created a lot of stress in the relationship um, on both sides. Like I was frustrated because I felt like there was no expectation that I spend money for us to share experiences. But I also wasn't trying to, like, live a broke down life. Like, I wasn't trying to, like, live like I didn't have money to have these experiences. So what wind up happening is I would wind up shelling out money for us to share a ton of experiences, which just, like, mm-hmm. it, bread or breeded bread. 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 Resentment. Bread. Yeah. Bread, bread resentment on both sides. Um, now I'm questioning there's, So there's that configuration of it. And then if I was the sugar baby... I mean, quite honestly, that probably matches more of my personality. Like, I like to be pamper and, like, to feel special mm-hmm. and, like, a little princess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have too much pride to, like, have that happen, like, in a, in a, outside the confines of, like, a relationship where there's also, like, shared respect. And, like, I have to find the right combination of, like, platonic friendship, <laughs> mutual respect. And right. you're going to pamper me because, like, I'm right. not about to be, like, a sex toy. Like, that's not. Right. Especially, <laughs> especially to a man. Like, I feel especially like. Especially the... to a man. Ooh, give me a woman sugar. Yeah, Mama. that's what I'm saying. Like, I was, I was, I was like, ooh, that would probably be ideal. I'd yeah. go for, just, like, a. You just made me feel things. Now I'm, like, very confused. Right? Right? Okay, 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 okay. Close your eyes and picture Holland Taylor is your sugar mama. You know, I was actually thinking about Poppy. Oh, okay. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, or Helena, you know. Helena, yeah. okay. Sure. Yeah. That's a good one. I need the yeah. age range to be close enough <laughs> that it isn't that it isn't so pronounced that the only reason I'm conceivably with you is your money. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. However, we're not we're not that 
that far away in age from Sarah Paulson, for example. And oh, she, I know. She's, she's in the with ra- Colin she's, she, I know. That was like a low-key diss to Sarah Paulson. It's not, Ooh, that's not, that's not what right. I meant. Because Sarah Paulson, I love you. And Sarah Paulson's we recognize gotta be, that, Sarah Paulson's got to be at least 10 years older than us. Let's see. What is she? I don't um, even know. I think she's probably eight. That's what I would guess. I guess she's like 46. Let's see what she's at. I'll that's see where she's guess. at. That's my guess. What's that? Uh, that's my guess. Um, and also Holland Taylor. Oh my god! Is, who had it? You you just know. You just know I she's forty six. I just know shit. You just, I just know, know you shit. knowing shit. Anyway, I be knowing shit. She's that's like right. ten years older than us, though. But I'm so I'm to just say that. But at the same time, that's fair. I feel like they are in a di- age enough, a large enough age difference that. I'm sure some people wonder. Oh, sure. People raise eyebrows. Totally. Right. It, it's, it's an eyebrow raising age difference. That's exactly right. Exactly. So, okay. there, so there's that. By the way, Holland Taylor's hot. I want to like not take away from that. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, that's why she was the example. Yeah, I get. I, I know. It's I'm, 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 I don't know. I have no idea. I, I don't know. <laughs> but going love, back to I, what I, you I do, said. I do love Holland Taylor. As do I. But. Um, going back to what you said yeah. about like it would have to be an, a very odd, difficult to find combination of like someone sexualizing you, but also like recognizing that you are a person with a brain and like seeing the whole you and there being mutual respect. The problem is that like anything that I've seen of like a sugar daddy or sugar mama, sugar baby relationship has been in like fan fiction where it's like the sugar relationship is the precursor to like, you know. Where- Lerv, exactly. <laughs> so that's. I think I'm. I'm also just like secretly hoping to live out my fan fiction fantasy, which would be like I mean, that. That kind honestly of narrative. is the dream. I mean, if I dream. was really, if I allowed myself, because I think we talked in a previous episode how like my sexual imagination is really compromised. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't often put myself in a space where I can like think what, <laughs> what. For some reason, the way that you said that just. <laughs> We laughed so hard. Um, and I'm putting it down as the title of our episode. My sexual imagination is compromised. You sounded kind of like a droid when you said <laughs> it's like your programming started to go, like you had a microchip malfunction. That's what it feels like. That's actually Aww. an accurate description. I feel like part of my brain is like broken. <laughs> And I shared that with y'all a couple episodes back when I was saying that your sexual imagination is so rich and I'm envious of that because like for some reason mine is like rapidly disappearing. Like the cells in my brain that can do that are gone, are disappearing. And it's similar for me in, um, I forgot what I was going to connect it to, but like I mentioned before how my sexual imagination, oh, I guess, right. Like I don't give myself permission to really think about what I actually want romantically. Because if I mm. did do that, I would be a princess and not like a castle princess. I just mean like somebody would be like <laughs> lavishing me with gifts pretty much on the regular, like every fucking week. Like Mia, I was in Switzerland on business. And so, so I stopped. Your imagination I, isn't compromised. Stopped, Listen to that dialogue. Listen Harry to that Winston. dialogue. <laughs> I stopped at Harry Winston and bought you four carat diamond studs. Just a whimsical gift. <laughs> so I, I did not buy you four carat diamond studs, but I did lavish you with quite a few gifts this year. Oh, and, I know. Um, it was a lot. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, like, when you just said that, I was like, I wonder how that made you feel. 
when I was giving it you a lot a of lot. gifts. I felt very cared for. <laughs> like it's, it makes me emotional because it was just like it was like always surprises too. It wasn't like I necessarily knew these things were arriving, and you'd be like, "There's a little gifty in the mail." Actually, <laughs> see, this you're is my sugar this- mama. This is, I mean, God, I wish I, I don't think that's possible because I'm pretty sure you make more money than I do. But like, <laughs> could you be a sugar mama to someone who makes more money than you do? Um, well, I don't think uh, it's actually about the, the like financial power differential. It's just about the. No, it's like, do it's, you have the it's, means? It's the giving. Like, can you? Yeah, yeah, it's the giving, the act of giving. That's why, like, I, yeah, that's why I feel like as much as I would love, like, Obviously, it would be great to have some more disposable income and be a sugar baby. Like, I definitely see myself as a sugar mama. Definitely do. And I feel it, boo, in our friendship. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to send you a pair of shoes tomorrow. You will have to uh, photograph your your feet in the shoes. They will be a six-inch stiletto. Red. Like every other area of my life where I've reached a point of momentary, I won't say it's like a permanent thing, like momentary contentedness. Um, mm-hmm. It has been like a visioning process of like, I want this in my life. I'm going to try to harness the energy, whatever. I need to do that because like, I want Harry Winston diamonds and I want. <laughs> you can get it. You can get it and you will. Who you from will. who? What man out there? What woman out there is just wet, waiting to spoil me? Oh, she's out house. there. She's out there. I'm a fine. Well, I'm right here. If you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready for like, I want the like impromptu trip, baby. I packed for you. Grab your passport. That's <laughs> for you. Yeah, like I'm on that level. Like I want that type of shit. Like I wake I know, up and like. I understand. Mo- you know, I wake up in like Monaco. I understand. <laughs> you, are, you are on your only child shit. Like that's, that's what? what I would call that. <laughs> How are you going to tie those threads together? That's what you think it is? Oh, I think that's part of it. I definitely think, think so? it's part of it. Yeah, it's probably part of it. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, because the resources <laughs> were only going to one outlet. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh I never. You know, I know people make shit on only children, but the way you just said that like made sense to me in a way. No, that it's I don't not. Think, yeah, it's, it's not it's a just, judgmental it's just, thing. It's, just about it's how literally I'm used to receiving energy. I'm used to receiving totally energy that's very focused on all of my needs and wants and desires (laughs) right it's not no it's not it's not judgmental whatsoever um and it doesn't I feel like I definitely wasn't my connotation wasn't like you're spoiled or anything like that it was it it was just like circumstantial like you know what I mean yeah the same way that like my dad had five brothers so like nobody was feeling special ever yeah. You know, um, except for maybe the firstborn, you know, yeah. just because he was he was alone for a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's well, just reality. We're going to do a visioning exercise where we set some intentions and I'm going to send an oh intention that like a big sugar mama comes into my life. <laughs> can we like can we open our next episode with a visioning exercise? Like, can we prepare and then like do this as our yes. opening and <gasps> i'm 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 preparing the world that <laughs> it might sound ridiculous right like the things that i'm gonna put out into the world like are just like really mia but like whatever <laughs> what i want <laughs> yeah it's not ridiculous 
not ridiculous. Yeah. Catch you walking around with a sugar mama in a couple yes. of months. Yeah. And, you know. Um, all right. Shall we launch into season four of The L Word? Yes. I have been waiting for you to see this season because for 10 years. Because <laughs> um, I started it watching. It didn't disappoint. Well, I started watching The L Word my 3L year of law school, which was 10 years ago. And I was like coming to visit you when you were still living in Park Slope. And I was like very in my oh Tasha my phase. <laughs> and I was wow. like, watch it. And you were like, nah, girl, I'm good. And I was like, ah. <laughs> um, and so God, I was waiting we so for this young. moment. I've been waiting for this moment. August 10th, 2021. 10 years and some change to the moment where I was first exposed to season four. And now we are here together on the bridge. <laughs> we're here. We're here on the bridge, the rainbow bridge. um i have so much to say um i know that i already told you this but i think that so far this is my favorite season because i feel like the show has found its groove and its tone and it has fully sunken into it they figured out what they're doing with those little opening scenes like those actually like are not awful anymore (laughs) (laughs) because they're about like the main characters and it's it's instead of it being um flashbacks that you don't really get the payoff until like the end of the episode oh man i'm getting upset um now they they usually involve the main characters and it's something like you get it already in the moment you know what i mean like you understand it shout out to brogan malloy brogan malloy is our irish sound mixer Oh, in Ireland. Yep. <laughs> oh, in Ireland. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the show really found its tone. It found its footing. It's ex- it's um, I feel like it's embracing the goofiness of it at times. And I feel like it's just. A l- you get introduced to a lot of new characters this season, and it just feels very like oh this is just you know people coming in and out of this world and i don't know it just has good momentum it has good rhythm it has a good pace you know it probably got the too many white people critique oh yeah that i always talk about yeah. typically it's season three <laughs> this time it's season four. this time it's season four but you know same idea but i'm not complaining it brought tasha into my life bro and what a, you you were not kidding like she is a gift seeing your text where you were just like tasha (laughs) tasha i was like girl i know (laughs) so i have all these notes and then like when it got to tasha like the notes started getting in bold (laughs) i was like tasha (laughs) um okay but let's have to rewatch season four tonight (laughs) goddamn (laughs) you should you should probably there's so much work for you for these these well, podcast I, 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 episodes. I, I, no, I, I kept watching. I was just, I wound up ahead of you. Like, I watched season four, like, three weeks ago. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm on season right. and, six and you don't now. have to watch it, like, with as much, because you've seen it before. Yes. That's so, true. That's true. yeah. Um, okay. So, my first comment is, they airbrushed Dana out of the credits. <laughs> out of the opening credits. Oh, I didn't notice that. And that was really sad. Well, because the opening credits, like, for the first three seasons is with, like, Dana jumping rope. And she's, like, looking all glam and beautiful. And she's just gone now, son. Because she dead. 
Um, and like little by little throughout the season, they start like just inserting like every fucking character that gets introduced into the opening credits. And by the end, it's like 20 people <laughs> or something. It's just like wild. Um, and I also have to say that I started just mentally inserting me and you as Shane and Alice, like, all the time. <laughs> like, especially when it's just the two of them talking to each other. I'm just like, this is me and Mia. Like, this is really You identify with Shane as a character now? I do. And it's, wow! I have to say- that's the, like, that's the <laughs> unlikeliest, unlikeliest of things. But you know why? It's because, so, um, so at... In this, we'll get to this, but um, in this season, Shane gets the opportunity to be a model for Hugo Boss, and she's really uncomfortable with it. And her level of discomfort was very relatable when she goes to like the opening and there's photos of herself everywhere, and she's just like, like I was like, I relate to this so hard. Like this is this is my whole thing with like I'm an actor, but I hate being photographed or taken. Or being on camera, like, it's the dumbest shit. Like, don't look at me, but look at me. You know, like, that kind of thing. Um, And that scene where, uh, oh, yeah, it was that same episode, the Roll the Dice premiere, um, where Shane invites Alice over the phone and she says, like, don't invite anybody. And Alice, like, just goes and invites, like, 20 people, like, in five minutes. I've definitely done that to you before. Right. So I was like, this is Mia and I. This is our relationship, like, in a nutshell. Oh, my God. My dog is, like, at my feet. It's okay. It's all right, Bubba. Um, okay. So should we actually, like, let's start with Shane. Because it starts with her. Um, she, like, baptized. We see Shane. So at the end of season three, like, she left Carmen at the altar. And we open season four with her like baptizing herself in the ocean in her wedding tux. And it turns out she's at Sherry Jaffe's luxurious beachside house. And Sherry Jaffe like is just fucking wild this season. (laughs) Like Shane goes back to the house and Sherry's like, when are you going to fuck me again? And uh, they're doing coke and there's like all these people at the house. There's like wild party happening. And Sherry keeps calling Shane, like, little freak. It's like, when are you going to fuck me again, little freak? I'm just like, what happened? Like, you know, was Sherry always like this and I just had the blinders on? You know? Maybe. What happened, Mia? I don't know. Ugh. Um, they're in that, but, uh, like, will they? Not, they're not even will they, won't they? They're like, they're like those people that, like, are in your orbit who, like, you still have energy this like sexual energy with and you don't see them often but when you do it's like you just kind of wild the fuck out you know yeah um and sherry i I think is just throwing these like 24 hour like hollywood coke and whatever fueled like parties so uh yeah shane i think like quickly tires of that and um I, I, if you can remember, like, the circumstances whereby she becomes her little brother's caretaker. Yes. So, first, Shane leaves Sherry Jaffe's house, drives away, drunk, gets in a car accident. Right. That's right. I also feel like in that scene, so you see Shane, like, stumbling, like, 
through the street. She's like, she's on coke and like all sorts of other shit. And she's just like bloody and like stumbling. And I'm just like, what show or movie is this? Like, this feels like a totally different movie. Like, I feel like this should be in some. It got like, like it got to like less than zero all of a sudden. Yes. Yes. It got, it exactly. Got very dark. Like, exactly. Exactly. 80s drug fueled <laughs> binges, addicts, like strung out, about to like spin out of control. <clears throat> and then I think it might be at the end of that episode where she like stumbles home. And if it's not that episode, it's like the very next episode. But she like stumbles home and she gets to her doorstep and there is her little brother, also Shay. named Shane. No, his name is Shay. Oh, Shay. Well, his dad, Shay. her dad still lacked imagination and basically. He definitely did. <laughs> yes. Um, so mom... Yeah who was just, uh, you know, um, abandoned by Shane's dad because he went off at the end of season three with, like, his, like, beach, his, like, ski bunny that he met or whatever. Um, Mom is, you know, now feeling probably depressed, overwhelmed, you know, and so she All sorts decides she can't parent anymore and just leaves Shay on the doorstep. I don't know if they actually have an interaction. Like, does the mom stay long enough? I think they do. They, the they do. They they do have an interaction, and then she like. I sort of. It was one of those things where I like kind of blinked, and then it was over, and the mom was gone, and Shane was like in the street, like looking around for her, kind of thing. Again, like less than zero. I've never seen the film. Less than zero vibes. Um, and then Shane is left with Shay, her her little brother. But like because of the age, they're ha- they're half siblings, but. Because of the age difference, she sort of becomes his um, caregiver, his guardian. Yeah, his caregiver. So Shane is is Shay's caretaker, and you know, like Shane is a very caring person. So I feel like the role suits her well, and she's good at it. Even though maybe like the circumstances of her life don't really allow for it at times. Um, and then Shay makes friends with a boy named Jared at school. And they have a play date, and Shane meets Jared's mom, Paige, super hot. And of course, Paige is like into Shane immediately. As and you are into are. Paige immediately. And I am into I Paige totally... immediately, which you totally called. Did I, you call it yeah. for me? Yeah. Aww. Why is my taste so basic? I don't know. But it's like that combination of like she looks very femmy, but then has like this very gravelly like kind of. Yeah, voice. I mean that's like, hot. Mm, I mean that's yeah. universally hot, by the way. It's like, universally hot. Come on, come on. Um, yeah. And she has never been with a woman before, I don't think. But she says to Shane, "I'm attracted to men physically, but emotionally, but they're emotionally R-word," um, which I relate to, <laughs> even if the language is outdated. And my favorite part is like, so they, they like, they start being involved. And then there's this one scene, <laughs> this one scene where I think it's a, is it a Bet's dinner party? Where, the car? No, it's after that scene because uh, I think they're at Bet's dinner party and um, they're talking about, um, I don't know, like th- there was this one night where, um. I don't know. One of the friends is like, where were you guys? And Shane's like, we were reading stories. 
And then um, it just becomes this running gag. And there's this one scene where Paige is like, I miss our story time together. That one story in the car. I laughed so hard because they have like (laughs) wild sex, Titanic level sex in the car because it's like the windows steaming up kind of shit. You prepared me for this season by saying it's really fun seeing Helena be poor. And you weren't kidding, especially in the beginning of the season where they get to the airport after the, um, because the wedding was in Canada, right? So they fly Uh back from the airport. They're in the airport. and She literally doesn't know how to do anything herself. She's like, my luggage. She's like, porter, porter. And Alice is like, there's a thing called a luggage cart. She has a quote where she says, I can't even buy a pair of shoes with $3,500, which is hilarious. And she also can't pronounce Hyundai. Yeah. She's like, my mother, she said it's a Hyundai. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, and, and then I she starts say, pimping like, herself out. And she's oh, my pimping. God. <laughs> it was such a wild storyline. And I felt like it was so wild that I couldn't quite follow it. You know what I mean? I was just like, is this really happening? Also, does Helena ever see her children? Yes, they come visit. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> they, they stay Not at the fancy hotel. They stay at the fancy hotel. And... Even though she has no more money? Even though she has no more money. <laughs> what? This is what I mean by, like, the show found its footing because it kind of, like, for the most part, like, let go of shit like that and was just like, all right, we'll mention the children, like, once just to, like, pacify the Well, they audience. brought them around, right, when she was with the high roller chick. What, did they? Yeah, because the high roller chick wanted to, like, go gambling while the, while the kids were in town and um, oh, comes I don't back to that. the, she comes back to the, like, they're basically, sta- like, basically... The kids are staying at the High Rollers hotel room. Oh, I don't remember that. And like, okay. And um, she has them for like the weekend or whatever. And then High Roller Girl is like, well, there's a there's a game with like a hundred thousand dollar buy-in. Like we have to go. And mm. Helen is like, but what about the children? <laughs> and High Roller Girl is like, well, then they can play in the pool. Like we're going downstairs. Let's go now. Boom. And then Helena like a little lap dog like. Drags the children. Well, this, this is yeah. This is like the I don't. Although I don't know if I would call this like a sugar mama sugar baby relationship because Helena something. is basically like prisoner of this right. woman. Right. <laughs> you know, this woman has complete control over her because she's paying off a massive debt. She's a slave, basically. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Basically. Um, our chart, which is the uh, the web version of Alice's chart that she created um, is sort of, you know, blowing up and it keeps getting so many hits that the website keeps crashing. So Alice and Max are sort of talking about how to take it to the next level and get some investors and make it a proper like lesbian Facebook, which is really fun. And there is, so Shane is obviously like the uh, Lothario of the show, but there is somebody on the chart that has eclipsed Shane in the number of female hookups she has had and that person's name is poppy poppy who, Al- who alice calls pappy who the hell is pappy when she sees poppy's name poppy is played by yanina is it yanina or janina i don't know I yanina gavankar janina gavankar 
who was also, I looked up her filmography. She was also in a movie called Who's Afraid of Vagina Wolf? Um, oh. So I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming this is not her first queer endeavor. Um, so Alice, like, tries to track Poppy down, and, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's like a wild goose chase. And then she finally tracks down Poppy, and Poppy is, like, very, you know, Rico Suave. She's very Rico Suave, Rico the Suave. lesbian. Um, and she beds Alice immediately in the back of her limo because she's a limo driver. And Alice is like, what are you doing to me? And Poppy is like, these are circles. And she's like, I like circles. Circles are really great, Poppy. I laughed so hard. It was great. Yeah, It was so great. Um, so Poppy becomes a permanent fixture in the season and a very welcome one because she's just like so great. And she falls in love with Kit. She does. Which I love seeing. I love. Yeah, I was love to see that it. didn't really go anywhere. Me too. Me too. That was very sad to me. Um, but more importantly, Poppy brings her friend Tasha into the world of the L word, and Shane Shane refers to her as Poppy's angry friend. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, Tasha, Tasha, um, I wouldn't even, I mean, I shouldn't call her a vet because she's still in active service. She's an active service member and she has like hella PTSD, which we've only gotten like a little glimpse of. Like, I hope we get more in the future. So yeah, Poppy brings Tasha into the mix. Tasha and Alice meet and Alice is, you know, a goofball and Tasha is very intense and hot and um, they kind of hit it off. And serious and beautiful and amazing. Just say more about Tasha. And we can bleep out names if you want to I refer don't to know. someone that Tasha reminds you of. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. You also so, don't have to. No so pressure. So crazy? So now, yes, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. So a couple here we are. A couple Who's the bots. lawyer now, um, boo? A couple of thoughts. Um, I don't know, aside from like Queen Latifah's character in like Set It Off, like right. I don't know that I had like seen other black women queer representations on television. Like she might have been my first. So in that sense, right? It's also yeah, just, like, that makes sense. Icon. <laughs> um, and she's beautiful and hot and sexy. And, whew. Anyway. And so um, felt all the th- I felt all the things. And she did and does remind me of someone we went to high school with. You don't have and, to talk about it if you don't want to. <laughs> um, no. But, but someone we went to high school with. And um, I wasn't like, I don't remember being attracted to this person in, in high school. Um, but we like reconnected pretty much like within months of me watching season four and falling in love with Tasha. Cause I like moved to Boston, um, for work and, or was spending a lot of time in Boston for work, like weeks at a time. She was living in the Boston area at the time. And so we started meeting up for like dinner and drinks and she's also a woman loving woman. So got into her like friend scene. Um, and so in my mind, it was like, I probably like 
supplanted. Like there was a there was definitely a blurring that was happening where like I'm sure like oh, yeah. in many ways it was like wish fulfillment of my like crush on Tasha. Where I was like, I'm gonna just tell myself that <laughs> you two are one in the same. <laughs> it is mm-hmm. the same. Even though this this other real this other real person we know is like hot in her own right. Um, oh, doesn't yeah. doesn't need Tasha to do any work for her mentally. But or do any of the work for me mentally to be attracted to her. But um yeah, it's true. Like she does remind me of someone that we used to know. But yeah, Tasha. <clears throat> um I'm not gonna lie, I got very horny when they referred to her as Captain. Uh I also enjoyed when Alice came to visit on the base and they go up in the helicopter with all these other queer women. <laughs> and Tasha says, This is the Ask and Tell helicopter. <laughs> that was yeah. so great. Well, I could talk about Tasha all day long, but <laughs> what I have been excited to talk about all week, you probably know. Jenny? <laughs> it's all about Jenny. <laughs> that bitch is so crazy. That's the other way in which, like, the L word definitely comes into its own in season four is they just accept that Jenny is the villain of the show and they make her a full-on sociopath. It's it's like if you were questioning before the season, like, what's Jenny's deal? Now you're like, oh, she's a fucking psychopath. (laughs) Um, So Jenny, um, Jenny's book, is which is like a semi autobi it's like a fictionalized biography or like semi autobiographical book. It's getting reviews. Rutro, Jenny's ego cannot take that shit. So she gets all these glowing reviews, and then this one magazine, Curve Magazine, which is a smaller publication, gives her a shitty review. The writer of the review, Sandy Merkin, iconic name, played by Heather Matarazzo, our fave from Welcome to the Dollhouse. Um, so she's the writer of the article and she sort of, um, (laughs) Jenny thinks that she's been duped because Sandy is a queer woman and she thinks that she used that to get her comfortable enough to like share things with her and then used it against her to write a bad review. So the, literally the entire season, like Jenny spends the entire season trying to ruin (laughs) this woman's life. Mm. It's truly... I'm like, what what else does she do apart from like devote time ruining to ruining this woman's life? Like I well, just don't her friends are also skeptical or at least slightly upset about the oh, the, the, the story novel. in the New Yorker. Well, the the novel being written because it draws heavily on their lives. Well, no, there's the um, the story. I don't know if how much that's in her book, but she has a story in the New Yorker that's all about her friends called Les Girls. That's the Uh, thing that that's the thing that they're like developing into the movie. That's the thing where it's like fair. Okay, so it's 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 all about the friends group and the the name. Like Like, Tina's name is like Tara. Tina. Like Like, it's like she barely changes the names. Yes, and. (laughs) I love the scene where Alice is giving her shit about <laughs> about um, the story in the New Yorker, and Jenny is such a bitch. Do you remember this scene where she's like, "Tell me, she, remind me," because you know Alice is like, um, "This is clearly derivative, like blah blah blah," 
And Jenny does this like patronizing thing where she's like, Alice, you know, like an author uses this thing called their imagination, <laughs> called their imagination. And it's where you take things that you like see in real life and then you layer on your own like thoughts and feelings and experiences and imagination to make it a creative story, a work of fiction. <laughs> She's just like, oh my God. And the way she talks, like I, I need to yes. perfect my impression of her before yes. I like release it onto our listeners. Got to yes. But it's because it has to be perfect. It has to be it's perfect because it's so it's got to be perfect. Ridiculous. It's so it's so good. But you're right. <laughs> she's so pretentious and she's so patronizing to everybody. But I'm, I'm just like, you didn't like what did you do? You didn't change anything and you didn't even change that. You barely changed their names. But <laughs> it's what gets rewarded. Right. And then her behavior starts getting yeah. rewarded because it gets picked up uh, to become a film. Like, and Tina's and production company is like her mind. Yeah. <laughs> Tina's production company uh, is really like vying to get the rights to to do Les Les Girls. That's what it's called, Les Girls. Get it, um, get it, listeners. Like the French, yeah. like the girls, but then like the Z for like Les Les, les Girls. Oh my god! I also want to punch Jenny every time she says anything in French. When yeah. she has her like pretentious French like ski lodge dyke like come over, which this is like early in the season, and they're like you know having crazy sex all the time, and it's like the middle of the night, and it's one of those like classic like tropey scenes where it's like the middle of the night, and they're like wrapped in like bed sheets, and they go into the kitchen, and oh I hate that the scene. kitchen is I hate that shit, and she's like she's like all we have is creme fraiche, and the way she said I can't speak French, so like please excuse me, I'm butchering the fuck out of this, but like she has to like. Put the French on it when she says creme fraiche. And I just want to punch her in the fucking face. And granted, Mia Kirshner is Canadian, correct? So perhaps she is French Canadian. Perhaps like she is like a Frenchie, essentially. But I don't know if that's true. But damn, I just want to punch punch her when she speaks French. Oh, my God. And she I does understand. it so much. Um. So yeah, she basically, so what happens with Sandy Merkin, Sandy Merkin, the author of this review, this scathing review of her book, has a girlfriend who is also an assault survivor. Um, she's a sweetie. She's so sweet. I love her. Um, and Jenny like gets this cockamamie idea that if she can like prove that this person is not as saintly as Sandy Morgan, like makes her out to be, then her entire review will be debunked, essentially, which is just so wackadoo. Like, what kind of wackadoo logic is that? So she, like, weasels her way into this woman's life. She coaxes her into almost having an affair with her under a pseudonym. She goes by Debbie. And this woman is a vet. She adopts an old sickly dog just so she can get the dog into the vet office. The dog is euthanized. It's fucking, it's fucking wild. And then after that, Jenny like stills go, still goes through with like getting a puppy of her own. She gets a Pomeranian and it's, oh my God, that scene where she like brings, so like Tina, First of all, so like they're trying to bring a director onto the the movie. Tina's production t- company does get the rights to produce the movie. 
And the director that they bring in is a woman director, Kate Arden, played by the fucking iconic Annabella Shiora. Hot. Who I fucking love. Who <laughs> also I fucking hot. love. Who I fucking love. Also fucking hot. Um, so uh, they, <laughs> they quickly realize that they hate Jenny and that she's a pain in the ass. So they're trying to, like, get her out of the project. So they have this big meeting coming up and Tina, like, <laughs> lies to Jenny and says the meeting was canceled. So they're at the meeting and somehow, like, Jenny... You know, I don't know. I guess she like suspects that Tina was lying to her or something. So she comes to the meeting anyway, brings her little dog. The dog pees on the conference room table. It's just wild. It's hard to even talk about. It is. Because literally every scene is just. Right. And I'm trying to imagine the actress who bears my name, Mia, like (laughs) reading these scripts like over the course of the season and being like, wow, y'all have really just, okay, I see where we are. <laughs> like, I am now this, I am the villain. Okay. I will say I got super, super excited when, um, so they're trying, they're still trying to find a director of Les Girls because doesn't, does Kate Arden back out? Is that what happens? Yeah, she's definitely not around as this yeah. thing picks up steam. Yeah. Um, so they find this guy who put together, he, he, he wants, he envisions it as a musical adaptation. And he put together his own like opening number or like pitch musical number kind of thing. And guess who is performing the musical number? Marina. Yeah. Marina, who we, who was the, the one who really brought Jenny into. The girl-loving world. And I forgot how much I am attracted to Marina. And then she came back and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> very hot. She's very tall. Very, like, imposing. You know what I mean? She's like, break your heart hot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, like, like what happened to Jenny would happen to me. Like, like that's real. <laughs> like, that's very real. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You broke my heart. I'm destroyed for all other humans. <laughs> Maybe that's how we should really see Jenny as a character. I mean, really, after a little, like, love like that that doesn't actually ever get a chance to get its wings, like, maybe you're just, like, doomed for, you know? In addition to Annabella Shiora, another really exciting person who joins the cast in season four is Sybil fucking Shepard. Oh, she is uh, around for a lot. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um. I like that. I mean, I like that they added a regular member of the cast who's a little bit older. I think that was awesome. Um, so she comes in as the uh, what is she? The ch- not the the vice the vice chancellor. Yeah, the, I think she's the vice chancellor of the college. It's like Cal Art that Bet is the dean of now. Yeah. Um. So dean's uh, dean Bet is starting her academic job and um. Sybil Shepard plays this like hard ass vice chancellor who apparently like fires a dean every year or like every semester or something. Um, and they call her heads will roll Kroll. Um, and she's been married to a man for many years. And immediately she's like, I think I'm a lesbian. <laughs> and uh <laughs> 
she's just like very thirsty for like lesbian connection. And uh, she overhears Bet talking about some party at the planet. And she's like, did you say a party like with all these women? Um, and then she shows up at the party, of course, and she meets Alice and she is a goner for Alice Piazeki. And Alice is just like, ah. <laughs> look, you're not going to come to my Alice. Ah. Ah. Alice is my favorite character. So I love her, too. I, I'm, it's a loving. Alice. <laughs> it's loving. It's loving. It's loving. Okay. 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 Come on. Doesn't, isn't it funny the way she laughs? Ah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm between like I am Alice and I'm in love with Alice. So like I, I can't I can't answer these questions. My favorite uh, Phyllis quote, I have to put this out there is so Phyllis is the Sybil Shepherd character. Sorry, I forgot her name. She says, she says, I first suspected I might be a lesbian when I was a sophomore at Wellesley. I had to pause the episode and fall on the floor laughing. That happened. You got a shout out. Listeners, I went, listeners, years, I went to Wellesley. Denying it. You tried so to not great. watch it. And look at that. So they great. gave your alma mater a shout out. I mean, come on. You could imagine they all your to. friends at Wellesley. Well, I guess we would have graduated by this time. So it was like they were watching it not on campus. Oh, my but God. Like, they were. They, they must were have like, lost probably it. Probably like lost, losing their mind. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap things up in terms of like what all the other characters are going through and this sort of speaks to like how the bet and tina of it all like tends to get like really boring for the two of us um i do enjoy like so bet has an involvement with a really fucking hot ta aka is it arizona it's arizona from Grey's anatomy right who looks like someone i used to have a huge crush on um and then uh bet becomes involved with somebody else who works at the college uh this woman named jody who's deaf and who's so awesome. I love that actress. Is it like Marley Matlin? That's her name? Uh Yeah, she's fucking awesome. She's been in all sorts of shit. And she's so funny. And I totally get why Bette falls in love with her. Like, she's just like so great. Yeah. Um, And Tina sort of like, they, they, they get together, things fall apart. And then Tina actually like helps Bette get back with her. But Tina also reveals that she wants to be back with Bet, um, and her, you know, relationship with the boring ass Henry is like not going well. Um, it's boring. I like Bet with Jody. I like her with Jody a lot. Yeah, it's the first relationship since Tina. In many ways, I actually like her relationship even better when she's with Jody than the relationship yeah. with Tina. Yeah, where you can like see that they have like actually a chemistry, a real connection. Totally, all of that. Um, I did make note of a hilarious, um, fiery exchange at the top of the season between Bet and Tina when they're with the lawyer. <laughs> so Bet says, uh, "You are scampering back to the safety of white heterosexual privilege." Oh, Burn. scampering! And then uh, <laughs> there's another part where Bet says, "Tina isn't qualified to raise a biracial child." And Tina says, but I was qualified to live and sleep with one for eight years. Ah! Woo! <laughs> that was wild. Woo! Wild. Wild. Oh, was this the season finally where you get to see them argue about preschool? I have been wanting you to see this scene forever. Like, yes, yes. And then Ben, ben is like, God, don't be so naive. You're like, so fucking naive. Yes, like, basically, yes, I was, yes. that was hilarious. It's so it was great. So good. Like, Bet at her finest, just being like super elitist. That was accurate. Super yeah. crazy. <laughs> like, we will 
Tina's like, it's fucking education. (laughs) And Tina's like, it's coloring. Like, chill out. Tina's barely in this season. Um, True. Yeah, because she's been like fully ejected from the friend group, essentially. Um, She has. Yeah, which is uh, very sad. Um, Max goes through a whole thing where um, he's so he's at his like job and he starts dating the boss's daughter and because he thinks he loves her he comes out to her as trans and she doesn't react well and then the rest of the season is sort of this like will they or won't they find out like his job you know Um, and uh, essentially like he ends up he ends up outing himself to protect a coworker, and then she like fucks him over. So he says bye, and ends up uh, partnering up with Alice full time to work on the chart. Uh, we didn't talk about Angus and Kit. Fuck Angus, which is like really hard. Yeah, and I loved Angus so much, but then he like he's all in his feelings about his band, like make finally getting their big break, but like also kicking him out at the same time, fucking like musicians. So uh, he's all in his feelings. And because of that, he like starts, he has like a hookup with um, Henry's babysitter, Hazel, whose hair is stuck in 1998. Apparently the Manny and the nanny. Oh, it's such the a Manny late and the haircut. Nanny. Like, is it like, like, uh, like a little sliding Fair, doors, like a little yes. hair vibe. <laughs> yes, and if it, if the haircut alone is, but then also she has a daisy in it, like full on Drew Barrymore, like late nineties vibes. I was like, "What year is this?" When I was watching it. Wow, I was, it was so like, confused. It was like ten years later. She was ten years out of date. Yeah, um, she makes a big play for him, and he gives in finally. And I could not believe he was cheating on Kit. Um, Kit finds out. Kit starts drinking again, and it's incredibly sad. Um, which is why I didn't want to talk about it until now. It just makes me sad. And then Poppy, Poppy, like, sort of seizes the moment and, like, makes, tries to make a play for Kit because she's really into Kit. And then they start to hook up, but Kit isn't feeling anything. She's not getting turned on. And Poppy's like, uh, this has never happened to me before because I'm the king. Um, Kit's like, I guess I'm just not a lesbian. Which I'm like, that was a missed moment. Poppy and it was Poppy and Kit could have had a thing. That could have been fire, man. That could have been fire. fire. Especially watching Poppy like be in love was so cute. Oh my god, it was so cute, and I loved how Tasha was just like, "This is how you get." I see that look on your face. I know, which was also hot that like Tasha like knew her so well that she was just like, "I see it." Um, Dana does make appearance at the end of the season. She makes an appearance at the end of the season. Shows up in Alice's imagination, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. That was very welcome. Do you have any knowledge about, like, what the circumstances were around Dana being killed off the show? Because I read an article where... Or I didn't read an article. I saw an, I, I saw the title of an article. <laughs> I didn't actually read it. But it was, uh, it was something about, like, how the the creator regrets killing Dana off? I mean, or something. Hey, if we're in a reflective place, that was fucked up. You didn't need to do it. It was fucked up, but I wonder. I'm just like, was there a um a real life reason for it? I assume not. I don't think so. 
That sucks. I just feel bad for the actress. Whenever that happens, I just feel shitty. I mean, that's the L Wars season four. It's uh, it's it's delightful. It's a very delightful season, and I hope the delight continues. Does Jenny get worse? Yeah, that's like the Is whole there... point of the show. <laughs> <laughs> like she's like a canon figure, right? Because like she's she just like. The whole the whole sixth season is just about like how shitty she is. Oof. Just keeps Oof. hurtling towards not ecstasy. Not fumbling towards ecstasy like Sarah McLaughlin, but like fumbling towards like a shit stuff. It's like like where four whereas four was like delightful, like five maybe like the most dramatic season. Ooh. Well, you that's probably debatable, but it's one of the more dramatic seasons. Okay. Do you know what we should do um, when we do season six, the final season, in a couple of weeks? Oh, God. Listeners, the marathon's almost over. I apologize in advance for season six. It's just like, you're going to be like, we could have just not watched this. Be like, I know, sorry. I think that we should do like a ranking the seasons kind of thing. I am down with that. I'm also curious now that you're four seasons in, would you have preferred that I have just, that I had just given you like a curated set of episodes to watch? across no. the season no no i had to watch to kind the of stitch thing. together a narrative no okay. no no absolutely not i had to watch the whole thing i had to okay. we I'm uh not, it's, it's weird i feel like we, i feel like we just became an l word podcast i'm like is, i'm like is there other shit that we want <laughs> i know i mean this is like the slog of a real friendship okay this like we are putting the, we are putting the viewers through this experience mm-hmm. because you had mm-hmm. to watch the whole thing and I had to capitalize on the moment where I had you as a captive audience and it was selfish and it was <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad this conversation's happening. So you know what this means though? This means that uh retribution is in order. I know. I'll, you know that. I was thinking about that like literally two minutes ago. And I was thinking, like, if this chick makes me watch, like, all of LOTR, like, I know. I was just going to say LOTR. <laughs> but if you break down the number of hours, like, girl. I'm getting I'm off. Gonna... I'm getting off easy. I'm getting <laughs> off easy. You're getting off, like, way, way you'd easy. Have to, you'd have to, like, because we actually calculated. It's it's um 60. I made you watch 60 hours of television. That's so... disgusting. <laughs> LOTR is, like. 11 hours at the most. Right, right, like right, that. right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we can stitch together some combination of experiences that cumulatively get us to like the 60. I'm going to find something. Yeah. I'm going to find something. We funny. need to be at the intersection of things that like I would go into being like, oh my God, why are you making me watch this? Got it. Okay. So I have to find something that'll be excruciating for you. Got it. <laughs> <laughs>